0: hello hi hey what's up good good how's it going yeah we just want to get some feedback how are you enjoying Splitting? very very well i mean i've been following the podcast now since the inception and- yeah what was your favorite episode I think this is like the 10th episode now. I mean, I'm just always waiting for the newest ones to come out. I can't sleep. I'm very happy to be part of it now. What we're
1: trying to say is we know you're lying because well, I can you, see you how many listen. people downloaded it
0: in the Gambia <laughs>
1: and it's zero.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes like we have some issues with connectivities or sometimes interfering. With <laughs> for six months. months <laughs> my so my when, you, you.
1: when you hear the word trade splaining, what does that mean to you?
0: I just imagine I picture two clowns behind the studio, like sort of improvised studio. And it's not wrong. I mean, we didn't put the makeup on today. Yeah, that's yeah. why I disabled the
2: video.
1: <laughs> I'm Rob, and I'm Artie, and welcome to Trades Planning. We're not just a podcast about trade, we're also here to talk about why trade matters,
0: what's going on in the world, and what it all means. Today we're embarking on episode 9, maybe 10. After a tough year, we have a great interview with Matthew Wilson, who, even after 10 years in different roles in trade and multilateralism, remains optimistic about what we can do and optimistic about the role of Geneva. Let's find out. He's he's biased. Also, we'll be talking
1: about what we're watching for in the coming year. Build back better, maybe worse. Is America
0: coming to the rescue? And others. And of course, stand by for this week in local news. And now, with further ado, let's get into it. Now,
1: this has become sort of a ritual with us here at Tradesplaining, and we're going to start off by reading and introducing some of our hate mail. We're all about the feedback.
0: So, yeah. yeah.
1: Our inbox funny. is blowing up. The first email we got is from Dave. His question is, how does a middle-aged white guy like me get a job like you guys that lets me eat pan chocolat and drink café au lait between 9
0: and 12 every day? And my question was, is he talking about the UN or the podcast? Because right now the podcast isn't really a job so much. The revenue side hasn't really gotten there yet. Yeah, but
1: neither is Tesla's, and look how they're doing.
0: Exactly, and they're still in a zero
1: revenue. State, revenue yeah, exactly. negative, Re- but revenue. they're worth a good. No revenue, they
0: have. It's just the profit side, the making the money side. Hashtag stonks. Side. <laughs> so middle-aged white guy like me get a job like you guys? What do you mean you guys? Let's take this off. <laughs> Let's take this offline. <laughs> what do you mean you guys? you gotta take this offline. DM me. <laughs>
1: slide into my dms next is we had a new apple podcast review from naptown quote unquote i don't know what that means he says or she says learning something new every day even things i didn't know i should know for example didn't know that a podcast could make hearing about the wto while driving fun it actually makes it dangerous because you may fall asleep we do, we do <laughs> want to counsel, and we do thank you, of course, for the feedback. Please drive carefully. Yeah, don't listen to WTO podcasts while driving, because I, I, I don't. Almost say, good. drink and drive yeah. before you listen to <laughs> WTO and drive. I don't know which is
0: worse. We we just counsel, you know, safe driving and safe listening. Am I right? Listen responsibly and or in is- moderate and in moderation. <laughs> so, Alberto De Preto, our guest from last week, also got back to us. He said his mom liked the episode. No, no. No, no. He said she loved the episode. She loved the
1: episode. He actually said that my mother, quote unquote, usually praises her son as any mother would. But this time she went on and on and on about how much she enjoyed listening, not only to her beloved son, but to the two great interviewers And the as last well. bit's
0: the really, really important part. So we said we'd give a shout out. So, hey, Dolores DiPretto, this one's shout out. This one's going out to out. you, kid. It's going out to you. Kid. <laughs> and as Artie always says. Make sure you subscribe and tell your friends. And last, of course, over to you, Already, you had another one from the clan. Yeah.
1: So this is actually kind of positive. So he asked when we were going to interview him on the podcast. And I said, sure, because, you know, what the world needs is another deep dive interview at some random diner to get white people's opinions on Trump and trade.
0: Yeah. We don't have enough of those. Because uh, what is our, what are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> What are we doing? Is that not us? That's not us, right?
1: Not us. That's not us. We are are deep diving into (laughs) other areas.
0: we definitely not. That's not definitely not us. I set myself up for that. That's the important one. Anyway, keep those letters coming. If you want to write to us, it's trade.splaining at gmail.com.
1: You can also find us on Twitter at at TradeSplaining and also look us up on Instagram at Trade.Splaining. Make sure you follow, subscribe, rate, review, listen,
0: and any other adjectives that come to mind. Any contact is good. We're still... Just click. So, Artie, it's time for what's normally the news recap. But in fact, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that we've been exploring all year and what we are anticipating, watching for, worrying about in 2021 around trade, around negotiations, sustainability and all sorts of good things. Also, what is a fishery subsidy? What is a fishery subsidy? And why should we care? Does it smell? Doesn't sound pleasant. If you cook it right, I don't know. Salmonella is what it sounds <laughs> Salmonella like. Salmonella subsidy. So I think we'll go rapid. I mean, there's so much that's been happening in 20. It's been a little bit of a weird year. And as we've said before, many of the things we're going to be talking about existed already, but it's made them much more present and much more visible. So I'm just going to shoot you one here. So this is trade and, and in particular... You had this issue of WTO negotiations on fisheries subsidies. What did that mean to you and what does it mean about 21?
1: Well, that's that's right. So the WTO negotiations failed to reach a conclusion by the end of 2020, which Mm -hmm. was the date they had set five years ago when they started. They'll resume in the new year, but the negotiations themselves, I think, are super important for a number of reasons. First is job rationalization, right? So if the WTO is working, then we're still on a job, which is good. It's super important for 21 and the years after. Yeah, until I retire, which is if I have a pension at that so point. yeah, it's, it's at least two degrees colder by then. Two degrees warmer, is what I said. Yeah. The other is obviously, jokes aside, is uh, economic. So if you look at fishery subsidies, $22 billion is spent every year to subsidize not only fishing industries, but overfishing. So this overexploits the ocean's resources and puts food and job security at risk for millions of people, not just in developing countries, but also developed countries eventually. So this has ecological ramification as well. So the incentives long-term. are to fish more and this is having a serious e- impact. E- exactly. The, the vast the majority of these subsidies go to industrial fishing fleets right so this puts it's not the small guy not at all so this puts those in coastal communities that rely on this small scale fishing out of work and puts their future in jeopardy the second aspect you talk a lot about you've mentioned this a lot you've hammered it home and that's the issue of trade end Right. So people think about trade in a silo and maybe that's quite boring for normal people. But when you talk about trade and environment, for example, this is a microcosm of what we're talking about. So not only are these negotiations good from an economic perspective, but from an environmental or sustainability <laughs> aspect, it's important because more than one third of global fishing stocks are overfished basically. So right. beyond the, the ability of the fish to replenish themselves. And these subsidies, this twenty two billion in subsidies, contributes to that. The UN is also discussing having no fish so these are protected habitats or parts of the ocean where you're not allowed to fish, and then this allows the fish to replenish themselves.
0: And your point also is we can't solve the problem bilaterally. We can't solve the problem unilaterally. It's got to be multilateral. WTO is a perfect place to talk about it. Exactly.
1: So. I mean, we—it's—it's it's a overused phrase, but you know, global solutions require global problems. And I also think it's an example. Or the of, other way around. It's a circular thing. A circular economy <laughs> so a problem. Whatever the hell it is. you know what I meant. But I think it's also an example of how the WTO is also not just a giant globalist and neoliberal conspiracy, uh, and the impact of trade negotiations can actually have economic but also environmental
0: impacts mm. as well. So I guess in 21, we're, it's kind of a way of saying, we hope the WTO will get on its legs and start to negotiate again. Even Lighthizer has said, this is important. These things need to be discussed. I think in one weird way, you know, the the, the U.S. has been
1: bashing the WTO and Robert Lighthizer, who is the U.S.'s trade representative. He's been particularly hard, especially in recent interviews. But I think in some weird way, it's actually been a benefit because it's raised the issue. So the problems that he's speaking about broadly are correct you can disagree with the way. And Matthew Wilson will talk about it. Exactly. Matthew Wilson later will be speaking about this and he he broadly agrees. So the problems that that they're raising are, broadly speaking, they're correct. The way they went about it, maybe many people would disagree with, but the issues are there. And this is a chance in 2021 to, I don't know if revitalize
0: is the right word, but renew that Raise on debt of the WTO and organizations. And get the noise down and the, the, the momentum up in a way. Yeah. So that's, in 21, we're kind of knocking on wood. Maybe that can happen. And one of the elements is going to be my second question to you: America to the rescue. Is the U.S. going to save the world now post-election? What can we expect? What's really going to be different? What do you see? First of all, it's America within you. Oh, with, oh,
1: America. It's apostrophe, America. Okay, got yeah. it. Maybe they say I in the Midwest the where I'm you're from. But where I'm from, yeah. America. It's America. So another bit of news for those who maybe weren't watching is that the U.S. has selected a new U.S. trade representative to replace Bob Lightheiser, Catherine Tai. Right, so she is actually speaks fluent Mandarin. She is coming from the Democratic side of the aisle. What's interesting here is that. I don't think we'll see much of a change, broadly speaking, in how they approach the issue of China and trade. What will be different is the means that they get there. It'll be less confrontational, but they'll be looking to their allies and alliances and, and sort of multilateral ways of addressing this rather than going
0: it alone, if you will. So we can hope for an America that's more constructive, that's engaged, that's made its point and now contributes to finding solution.
1: Exactly. In in a way, the Trump administration has almost done them a favor because this is a way for the Biden administration to almost come in and say, actually, there is an issue here but we'll be nicer about it. Perhaps
0: the, the drum needed to be banged in some way. And there's probably other fora where we where we would hope to do that. And in particular, as you say, we hope that the WTO budget will now be Increased. safe. Increased. 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 Yeah, let me, let me say Game that. High. Increased. Let us slide into the next one, which is we're talking about building back better, right? COVID knocked us down, but it also gave us an opportunity to relook at things. And build back better means as we recover, can we recover in a way that sets us in a a motion to be more sustainable. And I think on the trade side, on supply chain side, there's an opportunity here. We've talked here about a referendum in Switzerland about regulating due diligence in supply chains. It failed. However, the government had a counter proposal, which they're now put in place for more transparency. We know the EU has announced the intention to put a regulation in the new year. We know even the U.S. under Trump has started to block transactions that come into the U.S. that are subject to child labor under under a, a law that was existing for a long time, but not used. So, And from the U.S. side, this is looking particularly at China when they're passing these types of
1: laws. So this is looking at specifically the cotton industry that has been accusations of having forced
0: labor coming from, from us, the western province of China. Incredible that's right. Which and I think you and I in our work have seen that all the efforts made to date have not transformed the world into a more sustainable place in many cases. So mm. private efforts are not going to get there. I do think regulation has a role. I'm quite optimistic that in 20 one will see this social and environmental consciousness be translated into regulation. Of course, the, deal, the devil's in the details. We don't know whether it may also have some unintended consequences, whether it may exclude some of the companies we work with, for instance. So let's basically keep an eye out for that one. Now we come back to our old friend, Brexit. Keeps boomerang. Brexit, back. tell me. It's like that zombie,
1: you know, you thought it was dead it just comes back. I love this topic. Yeah. Well, it's also actually it's funny, it's made a cottage industry on Twitter. Like we, Twitter we talked will be about 10% this last... less active. Yeah. Twitter is really on angry January first. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like Trump Trump losing the election allegedly. Um, <laughs> you know, there'll be less talk about Trump. <laughs> <laughs> the same. Twitter with Brexit. Is, is, is reeling. I don't know what these Twitterati are going to be doing now that Brexit is actually over. Like, what will they talk about? Well, I've got
0: an. I've got. A, I've got one for you. That's what I want to talk about which is <laughs> it, it is an interesting experiment. So Britain is now coming out of the EU in some ways and will be going its own on development policy, on trade policy, on regulation. And they've already done a few things and they've been quite progressive in some of these areas. Mm. So we can watch for this new global Britain, as they call it. Mm. What are they going to do and how are they going to lead us or, or, or push us to do better in certain areas or maybe worse, who knows? But I think it's an interesting, for those of us in trade, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, so they've signed, I think in quick succession, Actually, they finalized trade deals with Singapore and Switzerland here, here at home. Yeah. So, we don't need to save that for the this weekend local news yeah, segment. Shortbread. So, it's social trade and services as well, which touches on that. So, there isn't any uncertainty for people who are foreign nationals living in either country. But for me, the elephant in the room is still there. So, these are sort of singles and doubles, as you would say in baseball. I don't know if anybody listening <laughs> gets the reference. Months. Maybe 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 it's fouling off a pitch and <laughs> maybe bunts. Yeah, fouling off a pitch. I'm sure they'll get that. So this is sort of I guess it's building momentum with little short goal kicks, if you will, to okay. use a football re- a soccer reference. Yeah. And then obviously still the It's a leg elephant. before wicket for those of you who like cricket. Uh, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the hell you just said. I have no idea. A leg before a wicket. Yeah. So the elephant in the room is still the agreement with the EU, which is still to be agreed to. Correct. As we're recording, doesn't look that great. No. And it also makes up the vast majority of their trade relationship. But still, they're still building momentum with these other smaller trade deals. But not the
0: vast majority. No. It's (laughs) It's,
1: a- <laughs> it's like if you have a big plate of, say, a steak, yes, and then you're just like, I'm not going to eat the steak. <laughs> not I'll, the- I'll eat the little parsley on top first, and then yeah. maybe the, the little salad that comes with it yeah. if you're in the US, but yeah. I'm going to avoid yeah. the steak, yeah. which makes up 80% of the plate. It's and a- maybe if there's time, I'll eat
0: that after. So I think for the UK, it's 49%. So they're health conscious. But for the EU, it's less than, It's I think it's maybe in the 30s, high 30s. Less fat, more filling. Yeah. <laughs> Here's when we throw in the dad jokes. All right. We got another one here. I know you're you're a big fan, and that's coming on the podcast, obviously, of trade wars. They're easy to win. We've already demonstrated that. Easier to start. And now they're a reality. Now we got a new one. This is Australia versus China. So what do we look for in 21 there? For it to stop, please. Will be the first thing. Yeah.
1: No, I think obviously Australia has already said that they'll be referring China to the WTO over these recent barley tariffs. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. The question- Do we that, care? The question that I have is, yes, did anyone notice? Does anybody care? It'll be a huge, huge test of the WTO because the whole point of a rules-based trading system is that everybody follows the rules. Mm-hmm. So if it is proven that these Chinese tariffs, quote unquote, have broken the rules, what will be the consequence, right? Really? Will anything happen and will it be enforceable, right?
0: So this will be a big test of, of the rules-based trading system. So it'll be interesting to watch. And I think we can look more widely in 21, is this going to become a Device that people use again. Right? Mm. I think our, you know, yours and my hope is that the rules based trading system is resilient, comes back, starts to adjudicate these things again. We don't know.
1: I, I think we've got, we've taken it sort of for granted. So I think when you don't have these things working properly and we're talking about the rules based trading system, you see that there is a need for it, if you will, right? So it's sort of like you don't know what you've got until yeah. it's gone. Yeah. Hashtag that, every love song ever yeah, written. Exactly. So the, so I think it, it in a way it'll help rationalize its existence, right? So it'll, yeah, it'll show say, that there's a need for People see
0: now it. perhaps the need for it. The losers, can I say that? Or not the losers, those those that are more damaged or more obviously damaged than the others. Last one, I know this is close to your heart, the Amazonification of everything. And that's kind of developing now into a situation across multiple markets. Where, where are we going with that?
1: Right. So you're seeing in the EU, which has recently passed a, I was proposing legislation That could mean that these tech companies in the U.S. face huge fines under these new proposals. The EU uh, competition minister, she's well known, she'll be well known to tech companies. So Apple recently received a fine of, was it, 10 billion for hiding basically its profits in, in Ireland. Didn't feel it. But, yeah. Didn't feel it, but it's still the biggest single market in the world. So I think it does have meaning if these are the type of laws that they're pushing. So GDPR is another example. Yeah. I think if we haven't reached it already, we're very close to reaching the breaking point in terms of how much we're willing to accept in terms of monopolies, quote unquote, or how much power these tech companies have it over us. Right? Feels- so if you talk to somebody from the NSA, they'll tell you that Google knows more about you than the NSA
0: actually does. And that feels like my tax dollar is really not being spent well. I really <laughs> I really thought NSA was doing good. They got a big, big building. In any case, I think you're right. And it's, it, it's turned a little bit the corner, I think, in the US of A. The litigation against Facebook, litigation against Google. And also in China, interestingly. Mm. So Nikkei Asia, you remember Charles Clover, our guest a few, a uh, few weeks ago, a few episodes ago. They are reporting now that also the Chinese government, maybe for slightly different motivations, is cracking down on their tech giants, the mm. Alibaba's, the Ten Cents. And again, it's this accumulation of power and economic power, and other types of power that the the Chinese government is also looking at. So we've got the EU, the US, and China who have all come a little bit to the same conclusion at the same time. So why are we talking about it? Why is it important to trade? Because increasingly, these companies are determining trade, commerce, payment systems. Even we talked about delivery systems. We talked about also information on markets where do you get your information on products they're across multiple markets so they are above or outside some regulatory limits they they have a big big influence
1: speaking of amazonification they've announced that they're starting their own delivery service
0: fantastic do i, I do i sign up for that maybe we can i think send you're already the, signed the up link. as as a as a human know. being you're it's already exactly signed up if you're breathing you're already yeah. on the list yeah
1: it's like <laughs> thanos yeah tea is inevitable it's so, a Marvel
0: yeah. reference for you geeks out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're not going to get that. We're not going to get that the sponsorship, are we? Thanos me Mucho. Because I keep seeing they're giving <laughs> billions away. And I'm just trying to think, we must be on that list somewhere. No. Today announced a $1 billion donation to Trades Planning. No? Yeah, a $1 billion Albanian lek. <laughs> the bezos mimucho institute yeah on amazonification
1: the bezos mimucho institute for trade for people who can't trade good but want to learn how to do other things good too okay that's a working title no yeah that's uh, so people want to
0: reach out zoolander I was a loser Did you didn't get that yeah, i'd get that i love that reference so I think those are some of the things we're watching for in 21. A lot of them have to do with trade and. So trade and sustainability, Amazon's trade and data, trade and social. We talked about the U.S., how will they act on the global stage? And, of course, will Brexit no longer be a thing to talk about? We hope not.
1: I think that's a good transition, actually, to our interview with Matthew, which mm-hmm. is coming up in just a tick. So our next guest needs no introduction, to us at least. Matthew Wilson has served as chief advisor and chief of cabinet to the executive director of the International Trade Center since 2013. Prior to this, he served in the cabinet of Pascal Lamy, director general of the World Trade Organization, where he was responsible for development issues, aid for trade, trade facilitation, trade finance, and relations with the ACP. That's a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, size matters. He's also a trade negotiator and diplomat for the government of Barbados for eight years. So he's been basically all across the things we talk about. And he was the inaugural friend of the chair chairperson for trade facilitation, special and differential negotiations. He, he made that, up. that sentence. He made that up. To make we did it not. Difficult. We did not come did up not with that know sentence. What that is and chaired so, a number of committees within WTO.
1: Matthew has an MSC degree in international development, an MSC postgraduate degree in international relations, and a bachelor's degree in psychology and sociology. Hashtag Freud. Matthew is an avid writer and photographer and has had his photographs and writings published in literary journals and media outlets such as The Guardian, BBC TV, and Medium.com. Also, full disclosure, Matthew is somebody who we know quite well from our time in Geneva. He's also a colleague, friend, and overall cool guy. So we're really delighted to have him on. So Matthew Wilson, welcome to Tradesplaining. Let's start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. What brought you to Geneva and uh, into trade in particular?
2: Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Even though it's way down in episode 10 or 11, you know, I really expected to be asked to do this a bit earlier, all things considered. But no, I'm happy to be here. Why am I in Geneva? So I'm from Barbados, a very small, beautiful island in the Caribbean. And about 16, 17 years ago, my government decided to post me here to work at the diplomatic embassy. So I was a trade negotiator, a human rights negotiator, a labor negotiator, a health negotiator, everything you could think of. And then before I knew it, I moved into working at the WTO, both on development and then working with Pascal Lamy, an amazing legend, director general of the WTO. And then about seven years ago, I found my way at the International Trade Center working with Arantxa Gonzalez, who is now the foreign minister of Spain. Hashtag humble break. <laughs> and let's just
0: talk a little bit about 2020. I mean, basically, it's kind of sucked but it's also opened our eyes to, to some new things, some ways of, of looking at things differently. Has it changed your view on trade or on the, what Geneva does? You more or less optimistic because of what's happened this year?
2: You know, it really made me realize how interrelated we all are, not just in terms of us as economies, us as people, us as organizations. I mean, we really are part of one massive global value chain. So I think it really has helped us to take a look at ourselves, take a look at how we live, Countries, I think, have been a little bit inward looking as well, trying to see, well, what actually do we do right? What Mm -hmm. do we not do so well? Where should we diversify? What should we move into next? What hasn't worked? So I think it's actually been a a year of introspection on all Mm -hmm. levels for all of us.
1: One thing that comes to mind as you're saying this is, me and Rob, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but I feel like we've become a bit too insular in the way people in the trade industry or the trade community talk about trade. So we've sort of drank the Kool-Aid in a way, even if it may be true. Do you think that in the last maybe four or five years or in the last year in particular, the pushback against trade has helped sort of sharpen our arguments, sharpen your arguments in particular on whether trade is actually an overall good or a benefit to society? Do you think that's helped at all? Having that sort of Push back?
2: I mean, I think those of us who work on trade issues, myself and both of you, I mean, we are defensive of trade because we know that it does lift people out of poverty. We know that it does give opportunities that really can have huge economic, political and social dividends. So I think we've become a little bit more defensive, but also because trade has never been on the global agenda like it has been the past five or six years. Now, to be honest with you, sometimes it's used, unfortunately, as a bit of a proxy for other things, you know, like populism, inequality Mm. between and within countries. But I think it's been great that it's been out there because then we've been able to defend it. We've been able to show that there's 100 years worth of evidence that shows that this thing works.
0: So I hear you, I'm kind of with you. On the other hand, we're in a mess. The WTO itself is under fire, you know, even its existence, although let's say a change of administration may mitigate that a little bit. We hear a lot about managed trade. We hear a lot about fragmentation and regional agreements and so on. So, yes, I think we have good arguments, but do you think anybody's listening? I mean, are we we really getting through?
2: I mean, we'll see how things work under the new administration of the WTO. We'll see if there's a bit more passion for countries to come back to the negotiating table and to get some of these things right. I mean, the fact of the matter is some of the issues that People have had with the WTO in the last couple of years, they're pretty accurate. Yeah. Huh? The WTO discussions and negotiations have not kept up with the reality of where things are. The mere fact that, you know, I was negotiating the fishery subsidies negotiations 12, 13 years ago, you know, we just heard that they're not going to be completed by the end of this year. I mean, come on. If we really cared about the, the ecology, if we really cared about the environment, if we cared about the fish, for goodness sakes, it wouldn't be taking more than a decade to be able to sort this out. So, I mean, I think some of the concerns. Concerns that people have with the WTO have been accurate, but I also feel that the institution is an incredible institution with incredible people that actually helps to keep more things afloat than people give it credit. Huh? Transparency is an extremely useful aspect mm-hmm. which people mm-hmm. don't often recognize the importance of until it is gone. You
1: you used fisheries and to keep afloat in the same sentence, and I think you get you get a that's for a, effort that's a check. and a for delivery. Yeah, also. He did that with Panache.
0: I think we also have to recognize the WTO cafeteria has has gone leaps and bounds. A lot of people don't. As the
1: fish have dwindled, <laughs> the, the vegan options have
2: increased. No, listen, I was around when it was the old cafeteria at the top of the building. We don't um, want to go back to that.
0: <laughs> no, please. No, the horror. Very, very so maybe just to round that out, we, we heard, you know, maybe this in the Geneva Trade Week, this, this week, negotiators, and maybe you experienced this, traditionally say, we don't deal with anything with trade, please get out of my face with labor, environment, I don't want to have to deal with anything. And maybe the dialogue's changing, so negotiators have to be more rounded and they have to understand these other impacts of trade. Do you think that is clicking in negotiators' minds? Do you think they will start to take on board some of
2: these other issues? I mean, listen, I mean, I hate to sound like an old fogey, but the information technology, access to information, transparency of information has done amazing things for trade negotiations. I mean, 20, 25 years ago, you could exist in a silo. Mm. You didn't have to know what else was going on. You didn't have to know that there was a human rights element to this trade agreement, or you didn't have to understand that there was an environmental aspect of what you're discussing. Now, I think is a little bit myopic for people to believe that the only issue that should form part of the discussion around trade is trade. I'm a big believer in this concept of trade and, Mm -hmm. trade and labour, trade and health, Mm -hmm. trade Mm -hmm. and IP, trade and the environment. And I think a lot of the negotiators now understand that as well. And let's not forget, a lot of the developing country negotiators, because the missions are unfortunately so small, they often cover three or four different issues. So they know these things. They know that there's a relationship between what they're hearing in the International Labour Organization Mm -hmm. and the Human Rights Council and what's happening in the WTO. They understand this. I,
0: I guess they I guess they do, but their posture in many cases in meetings I've been is still <clears throat> in some ways to keep those things. And that may be also sidles within governments. I mean that the governments uh, do have built-in separations in terms of some of these issues. Sorry to cut you off, Rob, but I was just reading
1: maybe not even <clears throat> half an hour ago, so maybe this is a bit too wonky for this podcast, but uh, the U.S. Trade Representative, Sir Robert Lighthizer, was just quoted as saying, he was speaking on the WTO appellate body. So for those who are listening, this is the body in the WTO who passes judgment uh, on cases which countries bring against others at the WTO. And right now, there are no more members left. So his quote was, nobody's really missed it. No one's missed it at all. And the alternative court set up by the EU and others is like an appellate body after you have a couple of cocktails. Matthew, this is- your thoughts?
2: <laughs> oh, that's an, that's an epic quotation. That's a really good one. Wow. <laughs> Things that people allow themselves to say when... <laughs> after a few cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that people don't miss it, huh? Wait until particular countries have particular pet issues that they want to see addressed, and then they'll see how much they miss it. I say, give this time. I say, watch this space. I think the discussion around needing to revisit the appellate body and its original functions was actually a necessary one. And I think it's one that will bear fruit in 2021 because the delegations have got to come around the table and find a solution. I mean, this component of the WTO is one of its most critical legs.
0: So okay, we're going to shift gears. You mentioned you're from Barbados. I looked up the population. It's smaller than my hometown in Wisconsin. And there's many you know member states in WTO and, and the organizations that we work in that are much smaller. And and as you said, you had to negotiate everything, whereas the U.S. has a building full of people to negotiate all those things. So tell me about what that experience is like, but also small islands, you know, are are a group in the WTO and in many other bodies and are facing a lot of pressure in terms of staying competitive, pressure, social pressure, pressure in terms of environment. So does it make sense for us to focus on small islands or should we just kind of focus on the Nigerias and the, the big countries?
2: No, I think um, small island development states have their particular vulnerabilities. They have their particular priorities. I think that those issues are increasingly on the agenda, especially with climate change. I mean, if the global temperature of the sea was to go up by two degrees in the next 10 years, many of our islands will be completely decimated. When you have an island like Barbados, where the major sector is tourism, where the major employer is tourism, and you think about us losing our beaches, I mean, people don't think about these things. Huh? There is a very clear, linear relationship between climate change, rising sea level, and the impact on small island states. So, I mean, I think that it's really important that the global community takes care of its smallest and its most vulnerable. That's, that's what makes us human, taking care of those, reflecting the views and priorities of those who may not have the loudest voice. Now, I say we don't have the loudest voice, but I tell you, we have some really critical voices. I don't know if you've ever heard my prime minister, Mia Motley, speak on these issues, Mm. but I mean, she has become such a huge advocate and representative for these issues on the global scale. It's really quite incredible to see. So no, I would never, ever advocate for, for kind of focusing more on those countries that one would consider to be economic powerhouses, because the priorities that small island development states have now are about survival. Do you worry about
0: the future of Barbados? You worry, but can you kind of think in your mind what it's going to look like if you know if sea levels rise? I worry worse?
2: about the future of all small island states mm-hmm. if we don't get things right mm-hmm. on climate change. Mm-hmm. If we don't really start looking at how we can truly support these countries to diversify, if we can try to give them a source of financing. You know, this is a huge issue for small island developing states because many of us are middle income status. Yep. And they judge financing or access to finance by per capita GDP, which is, I do not believe, the appropriate indicator to use. Mm. It means that sometimes, you know, those small countries can't even access global finance, which is absolutely devastating when you go through something like COVID, where your economy essentially shuts down. And yet you don't have the budget to be able to put people on furlough. So, I mean, these, these are real issues.
1: I think we're living in an age where people are quite, you know, they think that the system is working against them. They think nothing is really happening, nothing's going to change, none of it will make a difference, right? And I'm speaking very broad terms here. And I've seen it in my own country, the US, not not Albania, Rob. Staten Island is a country. That's your island. (laughs) I've seen it in my own country in the last few years. Do you ever feel like there is a solution or there is sort of light at the end of the tunnel? And the second point, having said all of that, people have lost faith in multilateralism and the institutions themselves. Do you think multilateralism presents a solution?
2: I mean, look at the whole COVID vaccine. That is multilateralism in action, huh? people don't see that. Some people don't want to acknowledge that, but that is based on multilateral cooperation. Even issues to do with, with mask wearing, issues to do with travel, the basis of all of that are multilateral understandings. So I'm a huge believer in multilateralism. I'm a huge believer in having a seat at the table. You know, I, I don't think that you can complain about issues if you have decided not to put yourself at the table is how I feel about people who don't vote. And it's something Rob said earlier about, you know, when he's attended some of these multilateral meetings and negotiations, It you know, that it just sometimes seems, seems so far removed from the reality. They seem to move very slowly. They seem quite myopic in how they approach things. But I would say that a lot of things actually don't happen in those big rooms. You know, you know all about Carter diplomacy and coffee diplomacy. I mean, that's really where things happen. And a lot of it has to do with not just personality, but also helping to break down knowledge barriers, just having discussions. I've seen this through my career where it is about simply sitting down and giving people respect as equals across the table and trying to look at an outcome, a solution where both people can actually benefit, both countries can benefit. So for me, I think that that is just a small microcosm of how multilateralism works. So I have great faith in this if everyone commits to it and if everyone comes to the table with the intention of trying to find a solution. That wraps up part one of our interview with Matthew Wilson. Stay tuned and
1: make sure you're subscribed to catch part two of the interview in a special Tradesplaining holiday bonus episode coming up in just a few days' time. We know you've all been waiting for those Rihanna and Nicki Minaj references.
0: Hint, they're coming. So enjoy the rest of the episode and stay tuned for more. Artie, this brings us to this week in local news. If you didn't hear it here, you wouldn't believe it. It's about Geneva, obviously, so I want to cue you. You had something about podcasts. This is not about Geneva, and it's not about
1: Switzerland, but it's still making me angry. It really so grinds my gears. Dope. Hashtag Family Guy. So Britain's Prince Harry and his wife Megan, will produce and host podcasts for Spotify, the Swedish company what? said, starting with a holiday special that will be released this month. Over this podcast at the same time. Sorry. So nope. you know what? Okay. It's not local news, but I am bleeping pissed because now we have more competition. We had just reached a niche market, and now these royals—those half an hour people have on the way to on the way to work. Yeah. So this is a serious issue. Who do I write to? Well, oh, I'm I going think. full Karen on this. Dead. I'm going to write to Spotify. We're on Spotify, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I like you, Spotify, and but we I we might like pull this. out of it. Yeah, we might. If we, this thing yeah, happens.
0: Yeah, it's us or them, Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, if you want to sponsor this segment, Spotify. You can sponsor segment. it. Yeah. Come a little closer to home, a little reminder on trade facilitation here in Geneva. I think these things do come home to us, some of these issues. A man entered the Geneva airport this week with four kilograms of dried meat from what was described as an undetermined source, as well as five dried bats. And what Geneva and the Swiss government wanted to remind us, and I think this is also good for our listeners, is that good practice such as refrigeration was not respected. This is like that holiday song.
1: Four kilograms of dried meat, four dried bats, three <laughs> pangolins, and a partridge in a pear tree. And what tree. they're saying
0: is, if you if you have it down your shorts, it's not it's not good refrigeration, not good practice. Wait, he kept it in his shorts. This is what I'm speculating. Uh, it wasn't in the story. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> However, he also brought 1.8 kilograms of dried caterpillars, which were okay. There's a two kilograms. And a partridge in a pear tree. So as as you're bringing home those snacks and those delicacies from home, please keep in mind that there are laws about this. There are standards. Look up on your local website. Caterpillar's okay. Dried bat's not okay. Well, folks, that about wraps up this week's episode. We'd like to thank our guest Matthew Wilson for joining us and discussing all things WTO, small island states, and why Rihanna is better than Nicki Minaj or the other way around. Hashtag Team Nicki. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as we did. That's
1: right, Rob. And also, everybody, don't forget to download this episode if you haven't already. And make sure you subscribe to catch our next episode coming out in just a few days' time. This is our bonus episode with Matthew Wilson. Episode 10. Episode 10. That's right, Rob. And also, this January, make sure you tune in because we've got a really exciting slate of interview guests lined up and you won't want to miss them. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter being at Tradesplaining and Instagram at Trade.splaining. And you can also email us as usual at Trade.splaining at gmail.com.
0: But before we go, we want to wish everybody
1: a happy festive season. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks for listening, and stay classy. Thanks, Ma. Thank you, Dolores.